Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the We Belong Here podcast, powered by Civic Commons. As always, thanks to the Big Phony for uh, offering his music to do our intro and outro. We really appreciate him. Today, we have a really great episode. Um, spring is here. There's a lot of people out who want to be out, who want to do more things. Obviously, we've been in a pandemic for for uh, over a year. Uh, and so we, with the impact of COVID-19, we wanted to get some perspectives around, around how the pandemic has impacted people. So we have two great guests today from different sectors, and I'm going to give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. So I'll start with Patty. Hi, thanks. Uh, so excited to be here with you tonight. My name is Patty Hayes. Uh, I am a nurse by education, and I am the director of Public Health Seattle King County. So I've been involved in the COVID pandemic the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Patty. Uh, Ari, how about you? Uh, hi, it's so great to be with you both here. Um, my name is Ari Lozano. I use she, they pronouns, and I am the program and development manager at Age Up. Uh, all girl, everything ultimate program, uh, based in South Seattle. Awesome. Uh, Ari, what is, can you tell us a little bit about age up? Uh, age up is a youth leadership and sports program based in South Seattle. So long story short, uh, there's a big, just like love of ultimate Frisbee in South Seattle and a huge, just like community there. And, what we do is like we bring the young people in South Seattle together with this love of ultimate Frisbee and use that as kind of like a vehicle to get them um, talking about issues that impact them personally. So a lot of our programs are focused on thinking about sexism, racism, ageism. And um, yeah, it's just a great like space for young people to be leaders in their community and also just like talk about things that impact them personally. So we use nice. that as a tool to bring everyone together. So nice. wonderful. I, and the reason we brought uh, the two, our two guests together is Patty obviously is working in health in the, in the region uh, working on COVID, but we think, I think a lot about the impact of uh, COVID on young people especially young folks. And I, you know, full disclosure, I lived in the South End. I coached at Franklin High School for many years. I've been part of Age Up and a big supporter and big fan. And so I, you know, I know how this is impacting uh, young folks as well. And those are, you know, all connected to each other. So I'm really excited to have you both on. Thank you for joining us. Um, as usual, we'd like to do a check-in question here on the podcast. And our check-in question today is, now, how has COVID-19 and this pandemic impacted you personally uh, uh, and or professionally? You know, how has it impacted the communities that you're involved in? And then, you know, maybe like, I would also know, want to know, and I think the audience would love to hear, like, what do you see as the ray of light? What, is, what do you see as the hope as we turn in through the spring into the summer? And what are we, what's, what's something that really gets us like optimistic? And so let's go with Ari first for this uh, response. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my first thought is like, how has COVID not impacted my life, right? <laughs> Fair um, enough. Um, I think uh, personally, I mean, I mean, so much, I think just <laughs> my day-to-day -day life, uh, there's so many like aspects of that that have been like paused or just you're not able to do as, you know, 
you're thinking about public health and safety um, in general. Um, a lot of the things that I personally do, like outside of work, are playing ultimate. Um, it's not exactly safe to play team sports um, unless you have a whole like setup. Like you know, you're thinking about like the bubble with the NBA, WNBA, and other sports. But mm-hmm. uh, there's that piece of like a lot, like my day to day life that's just been like stopped. Um, I think thinking about the like health and safety of my like family and friends, um, not being able to see the people I love in the same capacity has Mm -hmm. taken a huge toll, you know, mentally. Um, And I think a lot of that also just has translated professionally, right? Like I think I am someone who really loves to like work with people uh, collaboratively and just like meet people in person. And so to not be able to do that is really hard. And mm. part of what I do at Age Up is also coaching and to not actually be able to connect with young people and coach in person um, has impacted me in so many ways and like trying to figure out ways to do that safely as we think about more things going into the future, into the spring with vaccine rollout, like yeah, it's been a lot. It's taken a huge toll and it's it's really hard to kind of like really express fully like how hard mm-hmm. it's been, but it has been really hard. Um yeah. yeah. Um I, I can't, you know, I left Seattle in uh September, you know, because of how hard it was and also cuz I'm in so Patty FYI and for the audience, I'm in Seoul, South Korea right now and I've been here since September, uh, this is where I was born. My father's here. He has early Parkinson's. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to one, see him more, but also like get away from, you know, like the, the constant quarantining, staying indoors, not seeing my friends, you know, being able to actually, you know, South Korea where they have 500 cases a day right now. And people here are kind of like losing their minds out of a country of 55 million people because that's too high of a, of a caseload. And so, yeah, I can only imagine what it's like. But Ari, can you talk a little bit about also like, and I don't know if you even know, since you're not talking to kids or working with young people, like what is the impact of like, you know, not ha- of COVID and not, not having like a, a place to play sports and see each other? Like what impact is that having on young folks in the South End? Well, luckily we've been able to figure out ways to, I, I feel like this word has been used so often, just pivot from mm-hmm. being able to do gatherings in person. So a lot of what how we're connecting with young folks these days is just all online. We're on a lot of Zoom calls. Um, and it was hard to try to figure out that transition in the beginning when we're so used to like connecting and coaching and being in the same room with all the young people we work with. And it's been a priority for us to like, and a lot of our young people that we work with have expressed this, that like, feelings of isolation and just like mental health in general has been so hard with our young people, like having to figure out transitioning from in-person school to learning from home and then whatever family or house dynamics might be like with, you know, that kind of thing. And then the same thing with like not having the same kind of outlets that young folks typically would have when we can Mm -hmm. be in person. Mm -hmm. And so Obviously, like online and like doing things online, like doesn't replicate a lot of that, but it does serve as like 
if we're setting up enough space for folks to connect and like still be in community with people, like that has been something that's been super helpful. We play a lot of games uh, mm-hmm. at one point um, and we still do this. Uh, we set up space for folks to really talk about how they're feeling, especially mm. in this time. And I think that's been really good for like us as like staff to like know that there are other ways that we're still able to like work with young folks. And then mm-hmm. I think like the feedback from the people that we work with, the young people that we work with is that like us continuing to try to like prioritize and like make that space has been super helpful in a time that's just been really hard on everyone. And so, yeah, that's been a great thing. And like, mm-hmm. it, it sucks to be on zoom all the time, but right, it's still right. a way that we're still able to connect and like, show love and care for one another and just like, Mm -hmm. you know, really prioritize thinking about our like mental health in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like proximity, even though we don't have proximity, like to see people's faces and expressions and hear them tell stories and talk um, and listen is incredibly dynamic and powerful as opposed to just being on the phone or, you know, sending an email. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, thank you for sharing uh, Ari. Now, Patty, switching to you, I, you know, your purview is very large, but uh, how is, you know, how is the, I, I can't imagine, like, before the podcast started, uh, Patty and I were on this call first, and I have some friends that work at, you know, in public health uh, at the county, city level, and also at the state, and I just don't bother them, because I know how incredibly overworked they are, so I can only imagine what the impact is on your staff, but Patty, I would love for to hear your response to that question around how COVID has impacted you, and what do you see going forward? Yeah, um, I think that uh, 2020 will be uh, the year of uh, fog for me, mm-hmm. having worked 24 uh, seven. And um, as as I as I reflect back, uh, I've had to both be present and help through each of the pieces uh, as COVID has uh, unfolded and the pandemic has evolved. Um, trying to be there for the community uh, and to be there for the public health staff. Uh, mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, when um, I got the call about the Life Care Center here, I was in the airport after meeting with the congressional delegation in Washington, D.C., and I knew flying back, we were already very involved uh, with preparation, but it it just put us into full gear and um, the the impact to every sector, every person, the mental health stress that that uh, are you so uh, just beautifully outlined is going to be with us so very long. And I've had to set aside so much uh, for myself that uh, I think we all, are trying to figure out how we're going to recapture that in what new way mm-hmm. uh, the recovery from this uh, is going to be so slow. And I have to deal with all of the energy of everybody wanting it to be done. And yet watching now with the variants, uh, the surging cases in younger people now, younger people mm-hmm. who have felt like it wasn't going to be that bad 
and seeing uh, younger people end up in the hospital and hearing about the emergence of uh, what people are calling the long hauler syndrome or this post-COVID syndrome that seems to just be unpredictable on who it affects. So all of these things, as well as managing um, the uh, messaging, the support for all of our teams, being present for all of uh, the elected officials who are trying to do their best for their local communities. But in particularly for me, um, this has really shown the light on the long-standing disparities that are due to the racism mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I, I took up that banner this summer when the executive and I declared racism as a public health emergency. Mm -hmm. But it's an endemic problem that, that must be addressed. And the, the, the pandemic didn't bring it on. It was already here. It just right. shone a light on this. And so it's added an additional both opportunity and a really important um, uh, time to, to focus with community. So I've also really uh, tried to be present with the community that's struggling, our various communities. King County is wonderful because we have multiple wonderful communities mm -hmm. uh, that um, uh, is rich and, and makes our county wonderful. So part of the hope that I have in your question is ab about the focus that way to help that emerge and to empower community uh, in a way to have us address some of the longstanding racism here and to bring a more wonderful and beautiful, healthy, welcoming King County in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, there's a great book I'm reading right now called The Some of Us by Heather McGee. And basically the idea of how racism and the structures of racism have created um, this like false mythology of zero sum, like everything is zero sum. And that's been used to not just punish, you know, uh, BIPOC communities and black and brown folks in particular, but also the impact of white supremacy and racism actually negatively impacts white people incredibly. Right. And the, 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 the example that they use in the book is, you know, with the end of world war two and like, there's this big boom in the middle class, a lot of government programs, people are very interested in like, you know, paying taxes and like creating infrastructure uh, projects but, you know, a lot of these benefits were for mostly white communities. And one of those shining examples is the community pool, right? A lot of communities across the U.S. start building these beautiful pools for the public to come into. But as the civil rights era came into uh, the scene and, you know, uh, especially black taxpayers were saying, hey, we pay taxes. We should get a, a chance to use these pools that are not integrated. And a lot of communities, instead of integrating their pools, decided to close them. In fact, there's uh, stories of uh, communities where they just like entirely fire their entire parks and rec department so that in, in order to not serve, you know, not to integrate their services. And that doesn't just hurt, you know, you know, black and brown folks. It actually hurts white people, too, because 
Now they don't get a chance to access the pools either. And only the rich can create these private pools and these private clubs. And so the, the book kind of delineates a little bit about this um, zero sum mythology. And, you know, when we don't create systems that help everyone, then when a pandemic hits uh, in terms of, you know, COVID-19, that impacts everyone, right? That the system hasn't been built for everyone and then no one's really benefiting from it. And so how do we create um, systems for all of us to benefit from while also targeting the work towards particular populations and, and demographics? Um, so thank you for that response, uh, uh, Patty. I can't, yeah. And thank you for the work. I, I just, you all are doing such great work uh, and I'm so happy to be, you know, even though I'm now international right now, but to, you know, call King County and Seattle home, like it's really something I'm really proud of. Um, before we switch to the next question, Patty, I want to go back to Ari. Ari, I didn't hear, what what is the hope for you? Like, what are you looking <laughs> forward to? Um, I think something that gives me a lot of hope always is like the young people that I work with. I think mm. that, um, when I, I get to work with them and young folks are just so brilliant and so smart and yeah, just they're way more brilliant than people give them credit for. And young people are the ones that are going to be like taking care of us in the future. And so mm -hmm. I just think about like their organizing, their brilliance and like things that they're passionate about. And I'm like, all right, like I'm going to be okay. Even though I'm like a young adult, I still just like get, I'm excited to like work with them every day. And so that gives me a lot of hope and something that else that gives me a lot of hope is just like this vaccine rollout. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm lucky. I just got my second dose this past Saturday and my grandmother and my mom and dad also finally got it with a lot of barriers and like trying to figure out appointments. But I think that that gives like, that just whole, like brings a huge weight off my shoulders and thinking about the safety of like my family mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I think just thinking about that and like this hope that folks are still going to remain like safe and thinking about the like general well-being of the public, just like we're close, but like there's still a lot of work that we all need to do to make sure we're all mm -hmm. safe. And so like the vaccine gives me hope, but I also like am wary and, and just like there's still a lot of things that we have to do to like yeah. make sure we can get out of this and in a good way. So yeah, those are a couple that, of things that give me some hope right now. <laughs> that's awesome. And, uh, and Ari is actually, I've known Ari since, uh, you were in middle school and mm -hmm. you know, the friends and I, uh, my colleagues were always like, young people are so rad, had the same conversation Ari's having right now. Young people are so rad. They're so smart. They're so talented. They're going to run the world when we uh, get older and I love the fact that Ari's like, oh, young people are so talented. They're going to run the world. I'm like, oh, man, that went fast. Oh, Ari, Ari, you still got time to, to help like make things really great. So I appreciate you. Um, so thank you, everyone, for uh, uh, checking in and just having a little space to, to, to catch up and learn from each other. The next part of the podcast is just for us and the audience to learn more about your origin story. Like, who are you? What shaped you? Where are you from? Um, you know, and we always leave this question open-ended uh, in, in any way that people want to answer them. And so we'll start with Patty this time. So Patty, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? Where are you from? What's your origin story? Yeah, well, I uh, am a, a child of the time uh, when things like Disneyland opened mm. and uh, 
we had the death of a president and uh, I moved with my family uh, up the West Coast as my parents really wanted to find quieter and smaller communities and mm. ended up uh, when I was a teenager on a farm in Longview, Washington. And um, there I uh, began to find a real passion for service. And I must admit that I uh, was uh, a child of the TV generation and I got hooked on the Patty Duke show. And I don't know how many people have ever seen the Patty Duke show, but Patty Duke was a candy striper volunteer in the hospital. And if there's anything I remember about that program, it was the inspiration I got to start volunteering in the hospital. And so mm -hmm. when I was in, in high school, I was the youngest candy striper uh, to begin uh, at St. John's Hospital in Longview. <laughs> and... Uh, I did over a thousand hours during my high school years. Um, I got so passionate about it. I didn't go to football games. I didn't, <laughs> I do love football now, but because of my dad, but uh, I, I just found this drive to service. And so mm -hmm. when I uh, went to college, I went into nursing school and um, immediately upon graduation did what most nurses do, which is work in a hospital. But I found that I was so um, passionate about people's stories and what was going on in their lives and that it wasn't just about what brought them into the hospital, but their family, their environment, what was going on. This was actually a pull at my heart towards public health. I didn't know it at mm. the time. So I actually went back and, and got my graduate degree and was hired as uh, a community nurse. Um, and I was working doing home visiting in South King County. And my assignment was varied. It was at a time where we were trying to make sure families were supported so people could avoid long-term care institutionalization. It was in the very beginning of that here in mm -hmm. the state of Washington. Uh, and, uh, but because of my maternal child health specialty, I was assigned two things. Number one was I was the person that went to Harborview uh, onto the head injury ward and worked with families and basically young men who had had a traumatic brain injury because it was before the helmet law mm. and they'd been riding motorcycles. And I had to meet with these families and talk to these young men uh, about a devastating thing that happened in their life, that the trajectory of their life was never going to be what they knew. And not only that, they were going to need care forever and how we could do that in the best way. But boy, it got me a passion tick for injury prevention. And then the second gift I was given in this job was uh, I, I was the person assigned to deal with terminally ill youth. This was when things like muscular dystrophy uh, was taking lives uh, of more youth. And it was before the advancement of a lot of science. And these were youth who, for one reason or another, it wasn't working at home for them or their homes uh, were not safe for them. And um, I was there to try and help them find a place knowing that they were terminally ill. Mm. And again, it gave me a real passion for policy around hospice and families and youth. And so I pivoted 
And I went into government relations and then eventually was hired into public health. But um, all of these things have, have really shaped who I am, how, how I look at community, look at families, look at supports, look at policies that work and don't work for people. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful for that life path that helped also build a real resilience uh, for me hmm. so that I can step into these spaces of, of big challenges and, and hold people's energy and support and honor where they're from. Hmm. No, uh, it's the power of nurses. I'm sure the, the Patty Duke show has launched the careers of many nurses in your lifetime and in this lifetime. Um, I remember my friends, candy striping uh, back uh, when I was in high school and but uh, I remember my mom was uh, ill for many years, for over 15 years. She had an autoimmune condition, so her body would uh, kill, like destroy its own red blood cells and platelets. And so she would find herself with low blood count uh, suddenly. Or, And then she worked at a, a dry cleaners and her autoimmune condition, like the fumes really like impacted her health, like her kidneys and her liver, and heart, lungs, everything. Um, but I remember sitting, uh, flying across country and being in many hospital rooms. And I will say that the, the thing that brought me the most hope was when you had, and it was almost all the nurses, right. Um, stop and ask questions and tell stories and like, listen to my mom, like speak in her half Korean, half English, uh, you know, trying to like make like, you know, small talk. And, you know, just like the, the, the willingness to hear stories and like give really good care, even when the midst of, you know, and Ari and I know nurses, like we, like they're, they're so busy. They have so, such a big caseload. They have so many things they have to keep account of. And so I really appreciate um, the frontline staff, especially nurses, especially nowadays. And I can't only imagine with all the PPE and all the extra requirements that they have to go through, but also, you know, your work with um, terminally ill uh Young people, I have a friend that works at Seattle Children's in the, um, epi- what did, what's the field of medicine when you work with people at the end of their life, doctor? Hospice, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then you mentioned um, young men who had serious brain trauma. And uh, one of the kids, young men I coached at Franklin, uh, he got, got hit by a, a car and had a serious brain trauma and, you know, and, Ari knows the family really well too. And that's been a community um, effort to just, you know, give care and love to the family and, you know, and his life has, has drastically changed. So it's just, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I really have a point, just like kind of like responding to some of the things you said. Um, so I appreciate your story and Ari, I feel free to chime in if there's anything that Patty said that you want to chime in on, but I would also love to hear your story as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing, Patty. It's so great to like just get to learn more about you. Um, uh, I guess I'll start with like my origin story. Um, well, I was born and raised uh, in Seattle. Uh, both my parents actually immigrated from the Philippines. My dad came here when he was 13. Uh, didn't speak very much English, uh, but came here with my grandfather and the basic search for a better life um and uh we've been here ever since uh my mom immigrated when she was around my age so 26 or 27 
she and my dad got married in the Philippines and came back here. And I've been in South Seattle, like pretty much most of my life. Uh, I went to Maple Elementary School, Asa Mercer Middle School, and uh, that's where I first was introduced to Ultimate Frisbee, which I know Frank can attest to has like been a huge part of my life. Um, and yeah, a lot of the things that I do are revolved around that sport or other things around it. Um, yeah, I was first introduced to the sport in seventh grade. A uh, huge shout out to Mercer and my coaches, uh, Sam Terry and Hannah, Rex, like a bunch of other people that like I would miss on like naming all of the like folks who have been like huge influences and like mentors in my life. But um, yeah, she's a testament to like how awesome like this community is. Um, mm -hmm. I started playing Frisbee at that age, have not stopped since. Um, my best friends are the people that I started playing with at that age. Um, they're my best friends to this day. And what's actually really sweet is when I think about just kind of like my life with Ultimate, it's like brought me back to this place of actually even my job and working at, at Age Up. So I mentioned that I grew up in South Seattle and earlier talked about how like the South and Ultimate community is like a really wonderful community. Um, <laughs> I played at Franklin actually, uh, even though I went to Ingram High School and was bused there back when they had buses uh, mm -hmm. because I wanted to play where I lived and with people that I like had close connections with. I... The only time I've ever really left Seattle is when I went to college. I graduated from Whitman, um, played ultimate there. And when I came back, uh, it was sometime around high school, actually. I'm like going back and forth, but it was sometime around high school that Age Up actually started um, as like a response to just like the community and like how awesome it is in South End. And I left for college, but when I came back, like knew that being a part of Egypt was something that I wanted to do and just like the people and my mentors who like all still work at Egypt or are connected to it in some way shape or form um after college like came back and was like you know this is the community that has basically shaped who I am today and has been like a huge source source of like really important relationships in my life and what I want to do and things that I'm passionate about like involve like working in the community that I grew up in and that has turned into like a full-time position at age up and continuing to work with young people in the community that I grew up in grew, mm -hmm. grew up in and so it's like I feel like it's like corny to say that like I have like my dream job but mm -hmm doing the work that I do at Egypt is something that I would do for free. And <laughs> I'm just lucky that I get to be paid to do it, you know? Yeah. And um, that's something that's just really sweet um, because I get to just like work with young people that remind me so much of myself when I was growing up. And that in itself is just like super rewarding. Um, mm -hmm. So. Yeah. No, no. And it's just one of those things where I think the best people uh, to work with community are the people in the community itself. Right. And so mm -hmm. this idea of um, 
Asia being a space where young people who did the program, who are involved in the program, um, live in the same community, come back and then they serve in that community again. And then, you know, young people just see kind of like their older brothers and sisters as their mentors. Uh, and it's just a great like cycle that we want to keep uh, reintroducing, you know, be it in South mm-hmm. Seattle, be it anywhere, right? Like we want community members, the best solutions to community problems come from community. Like they have the best IP, they have the best solutions, mm-hmm. they know the problem the best. And so this idea of, you know, bringing in outsiders to work on things just, you know, is not the the solution. It's a, to, to give the resources to community that they deserve to, to, to work on the issues that they know best to work on. And so in mm-hmm. Egypt, and Egypt has done a great job. They've worked with a lot of different organizations and grant granting organizations to receive funds from like government and private and foundations. And it's a really cool program that gets a lot of love. So I'm glad to have uh, you on the, on the, on the show, uh, Ari, and to, to, to hear you talk about your, your childhood. And thank you for playing for Franklin when I coached there. Uh, it was great <laughs> to have you uh, on the team. Um, so uh, thanks for everyone for sharing their stories. Uh, now is the, you know, I would love to hear something that you are working on, be it, and this could be in your world of work. It could be something that maybe you're volunteering with. It's a passion project. It could be a side hustle. If you have like a side entrepreneurship thing that you want to like talk about, it's any, it's wide open. Uh, and so feel free to let us know what you're working on that you, you want to get, get out there and promoted. So Ari, why don't you tell us what's, uh, what's on your plate? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mentioned earlier, I'm the program and development manager uh, at AgeUp. So I have like a twofold job uh, and also many other hats, as is the case in many small nonprofits. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. one thing that I'm super excited about is we just uh, started a spring internship with our young folks. And something that we've like tried to prioritize, um, as well as and Frank, this is an update that's super exciting. We just bumped up our staff to six full-time staff from three, Whoa, which wow. is huge. Yeah, so um, a lot more capacity to do a lot of things. And um, yeah, I think one thing I'm excited about is our spring internship. So uh, we typically have paid opportunities for like uh, our young people to lead and work on projects that are exciting to them. And mm-hmm. What we're doing right now, and it's paired with um, our spring like fundraising campaign, is we have a team of interns who are doing some social media and also uh, working on event planning, basically, and facilitation. And we're working with a bunch of like folks who have done our programs before, and uh, it's just fun to like work with young people and just see like the creative things they come up with. Uh, mm-hmm. We have one team of folks who are running events. And so as a buildup to our fundraising and Give Big, which is one of our like bigger individual fundraising drives for Age Up, um, we have folks planning three different events. One is going to be like a fun, we're not entirely sure exactly what the content is because we're still in the works, but mm-hmm. uh, we're planning a fun event with them. Um, another thing that we're doing is uh, a lot of our young folks like lead and facilitate workshops. And yep. so we're leading two different workshops, one that's meant for like adults and other members of the community and content and topic undecided for now, but it's been in the works and it's planned. It's in, we're in the planning process and we're doing another one that is just meant for um, 
young people who like do programs or like haven't been able to connect with us in the same way. So mm. that's a really cool thing that we're working on. And I get to work with folks on and trying to like develop just like more leadership skills. Uh, it was really sweet. We did a like a goal setting meeting uh, last week and among some of the goals that uh, are like high school leads have identified are you know being able to be more confident public speaking um nice. knowing exactly when to like step back and listen more in a space where other people should be able to feel safe enough to like say their opinions um some other goals have been um like to support other folks who are like newer to trying to facilitate things for people and finding the best ways to support them and their leadership and it was just like a really sweet exercise that again just reaffirms how much I love working with young folks and just like seeing like these are the goals that they're setting for themselves and like want to like improve and like help other folks and mm -hmm. that's something I get to see and try to help like hold them accountable to and like try to support them in the best ways possible and um also just like what's been really cool is like leaving things like a little bit more open-ended like we'll give mm -hmm. folks like here are the things that we like kind of need and just like letting our like interns just decide like okay like here are the things that we need to post here's the content we need to create here are the things that we need to do and when and i think it's just like really telling just like you know giving a little bit of structure but like allowing for like creativity and just like Letting folks yeah. just kind of decide, like, here's what we want to do is, like, really cool. And it feels like a shameless plug, but uh, it's all in lead up to, like, us fundraising, um, give big for May 4th and 5th. And so I think if I were to, like, promote something, it's one, to, like, support us, but also I think another call to action for folks to think about when um, donating or supporting, like, programs is to, like, really think about, like, where you move your money and mm -hmm. how you get your money and i think that mm -hmm. supporting organizations grassroots organizations and especially bipoc led organizations and their leadership mm -hmm. i think this is just my plug out there to say like support and invest in those communities and um i can't say that enough um mm -hmm. that yeah. we could all be doing more to move our money and support yeah. and even in other ways um, outside of financially. So that's my plug yeah. for our programs and also right. to like donate to us and also, yeah, support, support organizations, yeah. especially where you live and especially in Seattle where, you know, we're seeing increasing gentrification and there's, yeah, there's a lot that we could all be doing to just support and then, on top of that, think about our own health and safety with regards to like COVID and stuff like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And if people want to find uh, age up, where can they go? Uh, all girl, everything.org. Um, that's the website. You can check that out. And yeah, that's the best, that's the best place I can yeah. refer yeah. you to, or also Instagram at age underscore up is what our nice. handle is. And we'll put all this stuff into our descriptions for the podcast episode so people can go there as well. 
Um, but thank you so much, Ari. And I think something that you said that also resonates with me, and I'm sure it resonates with Patty, is this idea of like, you've given young people such a, and not just you, right, under the whole Edge of Program, the community has given young people such a great model of service and like giving back and care that when they're asked what their goals are, their goals are actually around service and care for others. And I'm sure, uh, Patty, you're, you've uh, dedicated your life to service, you know, for others in terms of health, be it direct service or now in, in, in health uh, programming and administration. Uh, so that's something I'm sure resonates with you as well. But Patty, what's something that, you know, you want to talk about or pitch? Well, it was very inspiring to hear Ari. That was just great. I'll mention three things that really uh, are so exciting to me. First, um, we're working on uh, the renewal of Best Starts for Kids. So mm -hmm. this this project uh, that's unique to King County, it's unique in the country. It's the only place in the country where a commitment to investment across what I'll say is the whole lifespan. In other words, those critical times in a child and youth life that uh, are developmental milestones where support across that, uh, that spectrum make, can make a huge difference. So that's very exciting. I can't believe that we've been through the first five years uh, with all the successes we've had in funding smaller community-based uh, organizations, BIPOC organizations. It's just, it's such, I'm so proud of the work that's been done and excited to have that renewed for another six years. So that's number one. Secondly, I uh, have the privilege of working with the University of Washington School of Nursing, and they're establishing uh, the first in the nation center for anti-racism for nursing workforce development. Wow. Wow. And this came from a conversation that I had with the dean after we declared racism as a public health crisis. And she stepped right into the space. Azita Amami uh, is a great leader. And her uh, wonderful professor, Butch DeCastro, Dr. DeCastro, who also just happens to sit on my board of health, uh, is taking the lead on this. And it is going to do amazing things. They're just now working to uh, do the community listening sessions, to develop uh, the vision for this. It's not only gonna be about workforce development for nursing, but it's going to be about changing the healthcare landscape to really educate nursing, what I like to call nursing disruptors, to go out there so that the experience that people have in healthcare can be shifted so that People are seeing more people like them delivering health care so that the care is more culturally appropriate and uh, filled with cultural humility and what we know we need to do for communities. So I'm just super jazzed uh, about that and the commitment of the School of Nursing. And then la lastly, just on a crazy personal note, we all have our own ways of helping our mental health, but I'm a student. I'm a student of cosmology and uh, quantum loop gravity, and I am very uh, interested in uh, continuing that and actually uh, plan over the next number of years to hopefully study that work formally somehow, either through the University of Washington or whatever. But uh, I find that the wisdom of science in looking at the universe and the dynamic nature of the universe gives me great hope because 
everything we're learning is new and it inspires my curiosity. And there's nothing like talking about Redshift to really get a good conversation going. I just got to say. Wow. <laughs> Patty, I had no idea. I feel like um, I read, I think it's Brian Green. That oh, yeah. Brian Green. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's like obviously a brilliant physicist and cosmologist, but he's like trying to like bring it down to the level of like a layperson to read. And I will say, you know, I was an engineer uh, for a couple of years at the at Rutgers University. And I read that and I was like, I don't think I'm smart enough to read this book. <laughs> it's, but I, you know, and I'm also a Big Bang TV show. Like I love it and hate <laughs> it for different reasons. But uh, the, when they talk about quantum loops and like string theory and all these things, I'm always like, like, this is so fascinating. And it's really cool that this is something that has piqued your interest to the point that you want to go and study it in the future. So that's really exciting. So if we need to make some calls at the University of Washington's physics department, uh, let us know. We'd be happy to uh, write you a recommendation letter. Yeah. yeah. Ah, so nice. Thank you. I'll probably need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I took engineering physics for two semesters. I, I, I'm qualified to write this recommendation. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you so much, both of you, for uh, spending time. This is a, this has been a wonderful 45 minutes. Um, and I want to thank my guests uh, uh, for coming here, for spending time, especially, you know, in, in the midst of all these things that are going on in our lives, that has impacted our lives. But there is hope. Uh, and that's not just through the vaccine, which we all uh, want and love, but, you know, the way we card and care for each other going forward, because this is not the, the, the only pandemic that we'll have to deal with in our lifetimes. And racism, um, last time I checked, is still a pandemic and still an issue. And uh, But when we have uh, people across the, the, the generations and uh, lived experiences working on this, like I know there's hope in our county and for the, the country and the world. And so I, I thank you all for your time. Thank you to The Big Phony for your music. Uh, thanks to the audience for listening. And we'll see you at our next episode. And for now, uh, please uh, stay safe, build bridges. And remember, we all belong here.